Yo, I put it like wow, this that sound These oaks don't work hard like me, I hope they know by now Bam, bam, stand my ground Throw these money trees, go overseas like Percy Tau I make sure you stay around, quiet when I'm under loud No negatives allowed, me positivity took a vow I always play to win, don't anticipate loss Mind always in the clown, my boy Never think about the drop, never ever ever think about the drop Welcome to it, sports fans. It is the MKT show. Show, 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 show. I'm MKT. Somebody else asked me, what does MKT stand for? If you haven't, like, if you don't know by now, what are we doing? Anyway, it, it is my initials. Uh, so, that's why. And yes, since you're asking, I'm awesome. Feels good. Feels very good. It's hard to be humble when you know you're the finest. You know, that's that's how I would describe being Tosa uh, in one succinct manner. Hard to be humble when you know you're the finest. Hope you had a great week. I just did some travel, you know, because I'm a... <laughs> I was saying to somebody the other day, I'm a small deal. You know, people often say, oh, that guy's a big deal. I- I'm, a, I'm a small deal. So I was traveling... Uh, working working with Red Bull, no big deal, you know, whatever. One of the, probably the preeminent lifestyle um, brand in the world, whatever. Probably the biggest content agency in the world, Red Bull. You know, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. I was working with them, whatever. You know, I'm just a guy trying to pay my taxes. Just a guy trying to keep it ticking over, you know. So if I'm working with Red Bull, it's just it's just another day for me. Small deal, you know. I'm just a cog in the wheel, you know. <laughs> an ember, an ember in the light, an ember in the light. So that was amazing. Did something called the Red Bull Quicksand, which is a mile on sand at the beach. Some 16-year-old girl won, by the way, or 17, whatever. She wasn't old enough to drive herself there or drink alcohol legally. She was a freaking tank. Um, and then another young guy won, but he was of age, if you know what I mean. She, so she was 17. He was older, but he was young. He's from the Seychelles. It's a white guy from the Seychelles, which you don't often associate. So I don't know what he's doing in the Seychelles. He looked very pale. It's like, bro, do you even live in the Seychelles? Are you like ninth generation South African who moved from the Seychelles and you've just lost all of your pigmentation? What you haven't lost, and I don't know if people from the Seychelles are great <laughs> middle distance runners is your ability to run on sand for like eight minutes or, or seven minutes or whatever it took you it was incredible absolutely incredible shout out to red bull um guys treated me like a king saying on the beachfront um put me up in a stellar stellar hotel uh it, it was amazing and they it's just nice to work with high level pros you know so red bull and this sounds like a red bull promo but I, I, I would say, by the way, I'm not shy because in the events industry, there's 90% of the people treat you like a bum because they are bums themselves. Um, but it's just lacquer to work with people that are clearly incentivized by training to have some standards. It was amazing. It 
it's just bloody glorious. And I've got four or five events coming up um, with people I've worked with before and people that I just love associating with. So adding Red Bull to that, um, it's been a couple of years I've been working with Red Bull now, so it was amazing. Last year we did the quicksand, did it again this week. It's amazing, amazeballs. Beachfront, amazing. People in Durban, super welcoming. You know, even though I'm Tosa and they're Zulus, you know, it's probably not easy being the second best in Guni tribe or, or whatever. I, I'll let them fight it out with whoever wants to be second best. Again, them closer. So if that's tough for you to handle, I, I'm not going to shrink so you can be comfortable. You know, as a closer man, we're doing what we're doing. You guys can do whatever you're doing and we're going to keep moving. It was amazing. So shout out to Jackie and her team. Uh, a bloody great time. Red Bull Quicksand. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> tough. Tough and some some really young, amazing athletes. I, I hope next year we can uh, get it to the level where I think we can get it to. It's super super fun. Um, what are we talking about today, though? Uh, I'm going to talk Declan Rice. He's he's eventually made the signing. Um, I will have a mailbag question and then we'll finish off. Somebody did slide in the DMs and said to me, "What do you think of Delhi Alley?" And I had been traveling and I'm busy. In fact, tomorrow. Um, when this launches, I've got a pretty pretty big interview. So I've been prepping for that, doing some research over the last three or four days. I haven't really been on the socials outside of Twitter. I love Twitter. I get in there. I comment on everything for like an hour or two and then I'm out. Um, but then I, I downloaded the um, Deli Alley interview, watched it on the plane yesterday. Wow. So that's going to be hard hitting. In fact, as a, as a precursor, um, when I get to that segment, I will give this warning again. That's going to be a very sensitive one. And I will just say I've done it the respect. I read two reports uh, about it earlier today um, from Harvard professors uh, around all of those subjects. And I did speak to my mother about it earlier because, I mean, I speak about her a lot, whatever. She is someone who's a hero to me. Uh, but it's also in this case, uh, my mother has, you, you know, her doctorate in number one, she specialized in trauma and addiction. That was her first um, sort of specialization. And she exercised that globally. And then she, a couple of years ago, got her second doctorate in early childhood development. So this particular case with Delhi Ali really fell into her wheelhouse. And my mother's very pragmatic. She's not like your normal fuzzy you know, it's all going to be better. She's, you, you know, I think she's seen a lot. She's lived in war zones, had to work with some dictators and work through some complicated situations. So she's quite matter of fact. And it, it was a really, really illuminating conversation with her. As I said, I was going to address this, but when it's something this serious, I've got a public uh, platform. You want to take it seriously, you know? Um, football's my thing. Psychiatry's her thing. So... I wouldn't ask her if I was talking just football, but this is bigger than football. I will give another trigger warning, but that one's going to be, if you're a sensitive viewer, just switch off when I start talking about Daily Alley because I'm going to have a very, very real conversation about it. Nothing fluffy. This is my platform. I can attack it how I want to. So I do want to be sensitive to people though, that there are people who are sensitive, particularly to this quite rightfully sensitive matter uh, where children are involved, um, and rapers involved and things like that. I've got some really, really strong opinions on that. So when I do start talking about that, if you are sensitive to that or you have encountered that in your life, 
um, and are sensitive to people talking about it and you just came for the sports and the bands, um, I would encourage you to just, I'm happy for you to just cut off at that point and keep it moving and um, I'll see you on Thursday or, or you'll or you'll hear me on Thursday. Um, perfectly okay with that and perfectly understandable. But I do just think it's advisable that I am I lead with that, that I am going to be talking about Daily Ali. It is extremely sensitive content. And if you're sensitive, just once more, um, trigger warning. So cool. Let's get into it. Um, shout out to Alcaraz. By the way, he just did his thing. I thought he was going to uh, get whipped straight sets. I watch very little tennis uh, now. Uh, I don't know what's happened to tennis. It's It's lost me. And I've only got so much time, to be quite frank. It's not... Um, it's something I, I really enjoyed when I was younger, but my father was a massive tennis guy um, along with football. So I think that might have had something to do with me watching it more when I was younger. But I watch less and less now. And now that Roger's gone, to be honest with you, I don't watch. Like, I used to watch for Federer um, and he's gone. And now I don't care, to be quite to be quite honest. I can't stand Djokovic. Um, I don't like his philosophical positions and I didn't enjoy how he positioned himself uh, during COVID. And, you know... I'm, I'm entitled to fall in and out of love with sports. But I do want to talk about something which I think in sport is not good for a sport. And people often say they don't like when this happens. Now, put Formula One aside because I think Formula One is kind of like the NFL. And the NFL is evolving past this. But when Michael Schumacher was dominating and, and Lewis Hamilton recently is... Formula One's quite difficult to get into because you don't see their faces. It's not a very personal sport, and it's also not a very relatable sport. How many people can go and race 300 kilometers around a racetrack? You know, less than 0.01% of the world. Or, or I don't even know what the fractions are. They must be minuscule, right? So it's already not a relatable sport. Plus, motor racing's boring. Like, it's not very cool. Like... I get it. Loud cars and stuff are cool, but more that's more of a lifestyle thing. It's not like, ooh, Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher are bad boys. They're short, tiny athletes. They're like jockeys, right? They're not very cool-looking guys, like as, as much as Lewis Hamilton's into fashion. But it's not like, they're not like warriors. It's like, oh my gosh, that's incredible that you can do that. It's like a cyclist. Like It's difficult to look at Lance Armstrong or, or Froome as like these sex symbols. They aren't. You know, all these rock stars or no, no guys really want to be Lewis Hamilton unless you're a Formula One fan, which is less than 1% of the world because it's a snore fest. But what that documentary on Netflix did uh, is a drive to survive is sports like that where you can't see people's faces aren't very personable. right? But tennis, you can see their faces, which means it's a personal sport. You have a very personal relationship. If you're friends with Monica Seles, you saw her getting stabbed. You saw her face. You saw the shock on Stevie Graf's face. Um, you saw Andre Agassi's face when he got caught for being a cheat, um, a sort of drug addict uh, cheat. And I, I, again, Agassi used to be my guy. And then, sorry, you, you can't cheat and lie about it and then, and then come and look for empathy afterwards. Sorry, I've read the book. I've got no time for Andre Agassi's excuses. Um, and lies, quite frankly. But then again, he was a drug addict and drug addicts lie. So, um, you know, tennis needs a star for the women's game in particular. I'll tell you why. Is So one of the things I pride myself on is being a storyteller. And one of the things about classical storytelling is you need a protagonist, right? 
and women's tennis doesn't have it and i think men's tennis is quite lucky they're jumping into alcaraz now it looks like he'll be the guy i don't want to jump ahead and say he's going to be the next roger or or nadal or, or novak but it needs a protagonist so that they can be an antagonist because that's how you tell stories and women's tennis now that serena's gone whether you saw her as a protagonist or antagonist uh she was the main star right hero or anti-hero she was the main star now you can build story off her. Women's tennis has too many, too much parity. Too much parity is not good, right? Tom Brady was good for the NFL. Um, you know, the Yankees were good for the Major League Baseball. Derek Jeter was great because now we've got somebody to love or hate extremely and, and then you're in business. And as you can see with the NFL, my point was those guys actually, it wasn't such a personable sport until social media and now you get to know the quarterbacks a little bit behind the scenes because they have helmets on, right? That was always the problem with marketing them. That's why the NBA guys can get $200 million shoe contracts because Nike knows there's a personal connection to LeBron James. You can see his face. So we can put his face on stuff. But I can't see Patrick Mahomes, you know? Although that is changing and I've, I've, I'm one episode away from finishing quarterback. So just want to start off by saying women's tennis needs somebody to win like five or six so that there's somebody to love or hate. Everybody thinks, oh, we hate dynasties. No, you don't. People watch dynasties and you want to see them fail and fall. And you, you want to follow greatness, right? You want to love greatness or you want to hate people that dominate. It's good for the sport. Women's tennis is in a terrible place right now. I don't even know the lady who won. I, I don't even know what's happening in women's tennis. Quite frankly, I don't care because there's no one to love or hate. It's just like, okay, every tournament's a new person. So... Just want to start off on that. I, th I think women's tennis desperately need someone to dominate. Otherwise, it's problems. Because otherwise, it, like, like, I'm not going to follow the story of a million people. You need three or four, right? Three or four, but ideally you need one, a Martina Hingis, a Monica Seles, a Steffi Graf, or a Serena Williams, and then the rest of the story can be told of them. Hey, um, if you want to slide in the DMs, at MKT Inspires, right uh instagram the insta machines where i'm at otherwise mkt at the mkt show if you have thoughts i'd love to get more of your questions i really like doing the the question stuff and people really like that so um that's great all right let's get into it declan rice declan rice wowzers 105 million sheets as they call them 105 million pounds Absolutely incredible. So he's at Arsenal now. Boy, wonder. They love him in England, don't they? So he, he done left West Ham, didn't he? He done left West Ham. So before I get into Declan Rice, um, something I've learned in my life is expensive and valuable are not the same thing. Now, I'm the type of person who, it's quite difficult to control me with money because I've I've had just about everything from flashy cars, so from a Range Rover to a BMW to whatever, um, you know, to nice watches, to hang out at model parties. I've had all of this in my life, especially when I was playing football. And it doesn't make me any happier. Like, if you see me now, I'm literally in tracksuit pants all the time. You know, I live in a tiny cottage now. Um, 
I just, you can't buy me with stuff. Like, I'm, I'm really not interested in stuff. I've had it. It's like, oh, this stuff doesn't make me any happier at all. But what I've learned subsequently is that it doesn't mean I don't want, I don't like quality stuff, right? But expensive and valuable are not the same thing. You must, you must never equate the two. It's a false correlation, right? The great Warren Buffett, probably the greatest investor of our time, has a saying I love to refer to all the time in my mind is, price is what you pay for something. But the value is what that thing brings to your life. Now, the, the, the actual quote is price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Right. So the price, the price is what you get. Right. So I don't know if you're into coffee and you pay a high price, but it delivers the highest level of coffee. Then obviously you want to get the most expensive one or ideally the best. And you get what you pay for. Right. In life. Because then you're getting the value. The value is, oh, my gosh. Coffee is great for my health. I'm going to buy expensive coffee beans, so I might as well have the, the best processor for it. Now, now you're going price to value. It's valuable to my life to have great coffee. Let me, let me get the best. But if you think, let me give you an example. If you think buying a flashy car will make people like you more and genuinely have friends, it doesn't work. I mean, it works short term, but in reality, it doesn't work. And we know where it goes. I'm just talking about guys. Most young guys think, oh, if I could just get a flashy car and a nice watch and some flashy sunglasses, women will find me more attractive. It's true. It's true. They will. They will. The quality of person you're looking for won't, though. Because most women who are worth anything actually have their own money. Or are like after a month, oh, this person's horrible. I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, like quite quickly. It's like, oh, this person's just about their stuff. And they, they've, I don't know, they haven't been domesticated, haven't been raised. I'm not dating a little boy. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. A friend of mine who's an Arsenal fan had the nerve to say, we're going to win the title in the next three years. And, you know, it's been interesting to me. This Declan Rice thing has been unbelievable. You know, Arsenal fans are acting like they've got Roy Keane all of a sudden. And why I reference that is that it is the British transfer record. It is Declan Rice, who is the seventh most expensive player ever at £105 million at the age of 24. I like him. He's a grown-up. He's a decent player. From what I've seen, he's a leader. I, I, there's, there's nothing I don't like about the person. But the footballer, I've always said, limited passing, a centre-back converted into holding mid, £105 million. Bloody yeah. And now I've got Arsenal fans telling me we're going to win the league. Got the best midfield. <laughs> What's clear is he will be Arsenal captain, um, even if not this season, because I don't think you can just knock uh, Udegaard off. But he's, he's the guy, because Arsenal really, if you're in England, to maximise his value and globally, you want the England captain, because he's going to be the next England captain. We've just seen Harry Maguire lose his captaincy. I will talk about that in another podcast at Manchester United. So that England captaincy is probably the next thing that's under threat. Declan Rice is the next England captain. We know that. He will be the next Manchester United captain. That, that decision will be out of... I think it'll be out of Eric Ten Hag's... Uh, sorry, Arsenal's um, captain. That decision will be taken away from Mikel Arteta because the marketing of Declan Rice is a lot easier than Martin Udegaard, who's actually quite shy and reserved. 
you need somebody who can we can identify with London, in it. So Declan Rice, grown up, England captain. Let's just align those two things. And I would say, if not this coming season, certainly next season, Declan Rice, armband, and we get this marketing thing going with Captain Fantastic. However, he's not Roy Keane. Right? Because here's what happens. The, the honeymoon's over now. Because what happens when we pay for you, here's what corporates do. They won't tell you this. And I've said this before. Is corporates have a language. It's called remuneration. What they don't tell you is if we pay you more, we expect more from you. Right? I've always said this. The one killer in the world, and I've seen it everywhere from sports to media to wherever I've worked, is as soon as expectations are put on people, then you see what people are about. Can they deliver then? Because everybody's sensational and funny when there's no expectations. But when there's expectations, right? Now you're the British transfer record. Now we magnify the glass. Because now you're not the cool underdog mandem at West Ham. You know? Now at 105 million pounds, we're saying, okay, we're talking Enzo Fernandez now. Now we're talking Roy Keane. We're talking Frank Lampard. You've got to now deliver at this level. All right? You now, because here's why I brought up the British transfer record and here's why I brought up Roy Keane. Because what happened with Roy Keane was that he was the British transfer record going from Nottingham Forest, of course, on that fateful transfer to Manchester United. But he over-delivered. So they got the record and you always think to yourself, oh my goodness, we're breaking new ground here. Fergie must have been stressing because it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going from Brian Robson. It's been a messy transfer, myself and Kenny Douglas, blah, blah, blah. But Roy Keane did the one thing most transfers don't do. He's over-delivered on a record. So there's no way Fergie saw it going that well. No way. So here are the expectations when you are the world record or for now British transfer record. Roy Keane, seven Premier League titles, four FA Cup titles, a Champions League t title, a treble, and three in a row. The first, the first treble, uh, or th uh, three in a row, right? League titles. And by the way, if you'd like to see a masterclass, maybe the greatest midfield performance I've ever seen. In fact, not maybe, the greatest midfield performance I've ever seen. Go and watch the 1999 semi-final where Pavel Nedved and a guy called Zinedine Zidane, who everybody loves, got schooled by Roy Keane. Roy Keane ran that midfield on his own. He, he, he took it over. He was suspended for the final. But go and watch the second leg in Turin. Man United are unplayable. And it's all because of Roy Keane. He was unplayable, that guy, at his peak. The, from, from 97 until 2001, you've never seen anything like it. He was captain from 97, United went three titles in a row, and then they won the treble in 99. He was PFA Team of the Year four times, Football Writers Player of the Year once, Players Player of the Year once. He was in the team of the century in England, right? The team of the century. It's a long time. There have been some bloody good footballers uh, throughout English history. That's the expectation now. If you're Declan Rice, that is the expectation. Now, I'm not saying you need to go and replicate that. What I am saying is you need to be 
industry-defining and shape the next decade of English football. Because that's what Roy Keane did. Forget about what he had around him. The great Sir Alex Ferguson in his book, he, now they don't get along. And Fergie, even in his second book, said that he's never had one like Keane. It was another manager on the field. He's never had one. I mean, he had Mark Hughes. He had Vidic. He had the great Brian Robson. He had all of these guys. He had seriously, he had Paul Ince, the governor. He said Roy Keane was different. It was, he's never had one like him. And Declan Rice, at the very least, needs to be discussed in that Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard conversation at the very least. I think Frank Lampard's the second best midfielder the Premier League's ever had after Roy Keane. But he has to be in that conversation. At the very least, you have to be Steven Gerrard. Iconic at Arsenal and discussed as one of the one of the icons of the decade. Otherwise, this is a complete and utter failure. And his honeymoon's over. Being everyone's second favorite team and West Stand, the Amers, you know, come on the Amers. It's over now. Now you're the villain. You're the guy who's been paid. You left the club. And now you're at the big club. And and your fans are talking now. By the way, don't think Arsenal fans won't, won't have expectations. They're telling me they're going to win the league in three years. They came second without you. What do you think? They paid a world, basically a world record fee, right? Or a British transfer record fee. They didn't pay to come second again. Then there is no more excuses. The pressure's on now. Here's what I would define as success for Declan Rice in his entire Arsenal career. Because Chelsea are real, Man City are real, Newcastle are going to go nowhere, Liverpool will be okay for the next two to three years until Jürgen goes. I would say these are reasonable expectations. Three Premier League titles, two FA Cups, and a Champions League title. He must deliver that. He must deliver that for them. If he doesn't, right? if he does not, he has failed. I'm sorry, he has failed. One league title in a decade is not going to be good enough. You cannot... Steven Gerrard delivered the Champions League almost single-handedly to Liverpool. So you've got to at least do that. You must be iconic and era-defining. We must talk about you and go, blood, yeah. It was Enzo Fernandez. It was Kevin De Bruyne. It was, you know, it was Declan Rice. You must be in that conversation because when you talk of that, the late noughties, what are you saying? You're saying Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, Frank Lampard, Stevie G, you know? That's what we're talking about. Gareth Barry. You, you, you've got to be in that echelon. You've got to be those guys who are playing three, four hundred games, uh, winning titles. You know, Gareth Barry was unbelievable at Man He was unbelievable at Aston Villa, a leader, a captain, you know. And then he went to Man City. And I thought Gareth Barry was just, for three, four years, was world class, quite frankly. You've got to be in that conversation. You've got to be in that conversation in 10 years' time. Otherwise, this has been a catastrophe. Three league titles, two FA Cups, and a Champions League in 10 years. I think that's very reasonable. I think that's a reasonable expectation. But tick-tock, the clock starts now. Chelsea aren't going anywhere. Man United are not going anywhere. And Man City are Man City. I think that's reasonable. I'm sorry. I think that's reasonable. And the pressure's on now, boy. Oh, being everyone's favorite and a... You know, when when you can't beat people, they like you. 
Now you're, now you're the guy. It's very, very different to be the hunter. And now for the first time in his career, he will be the hunted. Every single week, he'll be on Sky Sports. Every single week, he'll be on Fox Sports. Every single week, NBC will talk about him. Nobody cares about West Ham, with all due respect. Love West Ham, right? But, but now you're at the Arsenal. Now Mikel Arteta is making noise. The Arsenal fans are making noise. They came second last year. They believe they're in the Champions League. There's no more mucking about now. Now you're playing against Jude Bellingham. Now, now you're playing against Barcelona, Gavi and those guys. It's not just Europa League. It's not Conference League. That's not what we're doing now. Now we're in the big time. Now what? And it's every week now. And everything's on TV now. Everything's on TV every week. You're going to be compared against Enzo Fernandez every week. Rodri, every week. Right? Sabozlai, although slightly different position, but he's, he's a high-level acquisition for Liverpool. They'll compare you to him. Harvey Elliott, who I think has been brilliant if you're a Liverpool fan. He, he's been sneaky good. He's a hell of a player, that kid. Right? Can he kick on and become a cult hero at Liverpool? But these are the guys now. There's a new era now. We're going to start Phil Foden. We'll, we'll start comparing you there. I think there's some pressure at Liverpool... Um, for Calvin Phillips, I saw his interview. He got a bit emotional. Don't be fat, mate. Get in shape. That's not that's not Pep's fault. But now Calvin Phillips, he's going to want to be in that conversation. Calvin Phillips was a leader. Remember that Leeds young captain. So there's a nice era coming for England. But Declan Rice mustn't think this is going to be easy. And now he's going to find out that he's not just beloved. Because what West Ham did was they protected him. Now the Wolves are out. You will not get protected at Arsenal where they pay you £105 million and they will put you on the posters is they expect you to deliver every week and they expect you looking after other people. They no longer want to look after a 105 million pound asset, right? When corporates pay you the most money, you know what they want? More from you. They, they want you doing the looking after. They don't want to be looking after you. They don't want to hear about excuses and social media and pressure. You, he's going to get his 200,000 pounds a week and a 10 million pound contract or whatever it is. It's time to deliver now. Three league titles, two FA Cups and the Champions League. I think it's very reasonable. Slide in the DMs. At MKT Spice, your thoughts. Declan Rice, can he be era-defining? Kevin De Bruyne has just had his era. Can he be that at the very least? I don't think Kevin De Bruyne is a top five, top six. Can he be Can he be Gareth Barry? You know, if you're younger, you, you and Gareth Barry's not very fashionable, but he was a proper player. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, one people might like, can you be Owen Hargreaves? Can you be Owen Hargreaves? Because for five, six years, Owen Hargreaves was probably the best number six in the world. From Munchen, he was at United, the injury stole it from him. But I was there when he played right back. I was in Russia that night, by the way, when they beat Chelsea. He was unbelievable at right back. What a player, what a terrier, what a bull terrier in the midfield. Can he be Owen Hargreaves? Because Owner Hargreaves, by the way, was proper. Can he be Gareth Barry? Can he be Owner Hargreaves? Because I think Lampard, Gerrard is a step too far. Paul Ince, a step too far. Because now you're starting to get into rarefied air. Now you're asking him to be some of the best England's ever had. Can he be Paul Scholes? Oof. If you're, if you're a Man United fan listening to this, think to yourself, can he be Paul Scholes? I don't know. Because we really should be putting that kind of expectation on him. Because Enzo Fernandez, we've seen, can win you a World Cup. He was the rock. 
in a World Cup winning team, right? Say what you will. Enzo, Enzo has no pressure on. If anything, Enzo's free. He goes, guys, I'm a World Cup winner. I've already shown Leo Messi that I can be his dog. What, what about you guys? He, Enzo should be putting pressure on, on Gallagher and these guys. Hell of a season coming up. Premier League is going to be sensational. At MKT Inspires, Declan Rice, reasonable expectations. If you're an Arsenal fan, love to hear from you. Slide in the DMs. Um, let me know. And now that some of all the signings are, 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 making, are being made, what I'll do from once, once they leave for America, right? I will rate the top six clubs. I just want all the signings to be made. Um, and then I will rate every, all of the big six, maybe big seven, including Newcastle now, and say what I think, who, who I think will win the World Cup and, and where the squads are in terms of balance, etc., from top to bottom. Declan Rice, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Expectations, folks. Bloody killer. Bloody killer. All right, slide in the DMs. Um, I did get a DM message here uh, from somebody who went to a school that can't afford a scoreboard. But he slid in the DMs and he said, and this will be short, right? He said, I want to find out, would you rate... Would you rate slash rank the... I want to find out what would you rate uh, slash rank the Belgian golden generation? I asked because the backward trajectory of the likes of Lukaku, Benteke, Bachwai and Hazard at club level. But as a national team, they seem to always be bridesmaids. And I've got a very simple answer to that one. I've got a very, very, very simple answer to that. Firstly, they are not a golden generation because gold is to win, Right? But when you base your culture around like someone like Eden Hazard, and I've said this before, I try and live my life this way. Vincent Company should have been the center of the culture, not Eden Hazard. Don't base things around talent. Base it around character. Character is re- replicable, and you can rely on it. The thing about talented people, if they're just talented, and now we've seen Eden Hazard has the character of a marshmallow, right? is that when their talent starts to wane, they have nothing else. Because generally, talented people, and you can use this analogy, right? It's like good-looking people don't develop their character often. And it's not, be, it's not because they're bad people. But here's what tends to happen, is people say yes more often than not to good-looking people, and they are more charming, so they use that charm throughout their younger years. So they never develop strong feedback. Because we appease them. We say yes to them all the time. And then they don't know how to deal with challenges in life. And that's what happens with talented people as well. But I've always said, don't pick talent. Make talent the icing, not the cake. And they made talent the icing. De Bruyne and Vincent Company and those types of guys should have been the center of it. But they weren't. They weren't. And they're not a golden generation. What they are is just a bunch of talented guys. And we've seen that before. Like, it's not that interesting. We saw England, um, you, you know, they called them the golden generation, never won anything with Beckham and them. Not interesting. Joe Cole and those guys, not interesting. You've got to win. To be golden, you've got to win. You know what is a golden generation? Man United under Fergie. From, I'd say, particularly, even early on. But let's say from 92 onwards, when he really started to turn it on and get it right then that's, that's a golden generation. 
and I figure he had two goals in generations, really, because he had Steve Bruce and those guys, and then he had Vidic and those guys. You know? So Steve Bruce and the kids, and David May and those guys, and then from like 2002, new era, another golden generation, right up to, uh, you know, Ryan Giggs survived all of them, but right up to sort of Nemanja Vidic leaving. That's two golden generations. Now that's golden, because you're winning. Gold is the color of the trophy, and where you finish, on top of the podium. So there is no golden generation. Belgium are just a bunch of talented dudes. So where I put them is, nowhere. There is useless, there is useless or useful as Bafana Bafana. Just because things are fun, it doesn't mean they're useful. Sorry. They're not winners. If anything, Bafana Bafana won the Euros, right? Oh, sorry, the Euros. The um, African Nations Cup in 1996. So we're actually better than Belgium in that sense. Belgium have won donut. Bagel. Zero. Nix. Useless. Golden? No. Wooden spoon. They should call them the wooden spoon generation. If you're in first, you're last. Ricky Bobby. So I don't think about that generation. And I think a lot of them were overrated just because Belgium were terrible for so long. I think Eden Hazard was iconic more for a talent. And I think he's the best talent they've ever had. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne has delivered on his potential. De Bruyne has maximized his potential. I like Kevin De Bruyne, but he's not in the same stratosphere in terms of talent as Eden Hazard. But the character, uh, professionalism, you can see Kevin De Bruyne is just lasting, right? So he's more efficient. Um... He's more reliable. He plays. He's in his 30s and plays and not eating McDonald's burgers and being humongously fat. Sorry, that's a real thing. Like, the greatest ability is availability. Eden Hazard has spent his prime years at a burger joint. And from what I've read is he was like this at Chelsea as well. It's just that when you're young, you can recover and get through these things. And again, Relied on his talent. Didn't, uh, didn't develop the professional side of it. Listen, you, you know, people like LeBron James have spoiled us. We, th we think everyone loves it like they do. Maldini. Cafu. You know, Zanetti. These people have spoiled us. We think everyone's like that. Vincent Company. We, we think everybody's like that. To whatever extent, I mean, I don't love the player, but Gary Neville. We think these 15-year careers are what it is. It's not. Especially at that level. There's more Mario Balotelli's than there are Gary Neville's. Than, than there are Ryan Giggs, you know. These people spoil us. That they're in love with football. It is everything to them. It wasn't everything to Eden Hazard. That's very, very clear. I mean, the, the thought of being overweight at Real Madrid when you're £130 million signing is so disrespectful. It is so disrespectful. It's, it, it blows my mind. Like, I've lost it for Eden Hazard, right? I'm, I'm not even like, oh, he's a Chelsea cult hero. Forget it. What a bum. What, what a bum. As far as I'm concerned, he's, he's just a better Paul Pogba. What a bum. I, I'm not having it. I'm not having the Eden Hazard thing. I've seen lots of talented people. Brilliant to Chelsea for two seasons, but I've seen lots of people be brilliant for two seasons. Diego Maradona's brilliant for two seasons. I've got, I've got no love for Maradona, by the way. Like, brilliant player, cult hero, whatever. 
druggy and wasted it. A big part of being great is having character, the character to be professional, to keep your body in check and being available. Golden generation, my foot. My thoughts are they are not a golden generation to answer that question. At MKT Inspires, if you've got two seconds, give us a rating. Eh? Go on. Eh? Come on, son. Go on, Rodders. If you know where that's from, slide in the DMs. All right, Rodders. If you know where that's from and you're old and you like the classics, slide in the DMs. At MKT Inspires, um, Belgium, your thoughts. Declan Rice, your thoughts. At MKT Inspires. Otherwise, MKT at the MKT show. Uh, happy to answer any questions you've got here. Um, and it is at this stage, I will once again give a trigger warning. Trigger warning. We're going to get into the Delhi Alley thing now. It is going to be very sensitive. I, I'm I'm going to go in on this one. Um, if you are sensitive to matters around children, uh, matters around GBV, rape, um, and, and such, this is the time to switch off. Because for the rest of the podcast, uh, for the next five to ten minutes, I'm going to discuss the Daily Alley interview, which I wasn't going to watch thanks to uh, someone who did slide in the DMs and said, what do you think of the Daily Alley interview? And what do I feel about it? Um, a couple of years ago, I, I said there's something wrong with Daily Alley. The season he fell off, the, the first Mourinho season, and I didn't really watch the he, All or Nothing. I've, I've kind of fallen out of love with those behind-the-scenes docky things. I think teams have enough social media now that we, we don't need those things. They're, 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 they're played out, I think, in my opinion. The Man City one was cool. And after that, it's like, what more can you do? Plus, we have so much access now to players. They've got social media. There's social media teams at the, at the teams now. We get so much behind the scenes. Like, and now we know how curated those are, right? The teams edit out the quote-unquote bad stuff. So... It's it's sort of PR fluff pieces now, so I'm not interested anymore. Um, I'll tell you what was amazing was quarterback, by the way. That wasn't a fluff piece. I, I loved that because it's following the main protagonists in a season. Any, anyway, I thought um, Daily Alley was falling apart then. And I said it, by the way, if you watched the podcast, we just started our video uh, podcasting then. And I said, Daily Alley, no way, I'm out. Because... Again, I've played with low character people and I've been somebody who couldn't ask for help. So I can see the behavior, right? I can see the behavior of somebody acting out. He was acting out. So I was like, I'm out on Delhi Alley. Forget what Mourinho had to say. I've seen the behavior. I know that behavior. I know vagrant behavior. I know angry. I'm angry. It's me against the world behavior. I've seen that. And I'm not saying it in hindsight. I said it at the time about Delhi Alley. I'm out. I'm out. I, I'm out. Once Mourinho is out, because I know Mourinho is a character guy, I was out then. Lo and behold. And I don't change my position, by the way. I, I do not change my position. You, you, in life, new information should make you change your mind. However, I've been somebody who displayed negative behavior in my life before. It's not comparable. And the circumstances were brought on by myself in my life. Uh, the negativity was my poor behavior um, that that got me into a spiral where I worked myself into being the worst version of myself. But that, so mine wasn't extrinsic factors that led to this. I started all the problems and I was weak 
of character and weak of mind in my case. Now, before I start this, I'm going to be quite preachy here um, because I think the Daily Ali thing is so complicated. If you haven't seen the interview, um, I'm going to prefix this with I was particularly struck by it because I come from a poor family. Uh, my mom and dad are exceptions in my family. Um, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, uh, I don't mind quickly going through it. Um, my mom and dad are both from rural South Africa. And my father is from uh, rural Eastern Cape and my mother from rural Limpopo. And they are exceptions in their family. And my mother has put 17 people through school, right? Excluding us, my father paid for me. But my, my father has put countless people in our family, including six of his siblings who are also now chemical engineers. My father's a chemical engineer uh, through school and university. And then their kids and their kids and countless other. I don't even know how many people my father's paid for. So they are exceptions in my family, right? So my father and my mother are exceptions. 99.9% .9 of my family is poor. Like, like the Africa you see on cnn kind of poor not 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 like oh they're struggling to put together fifteen thousand rand a month like like poor poor like rural poor right and po poverty is important to discuss to contextualize things because it is important you know always it's always important economic factors in the world we live in are real it's it's real and if you if you feel guilty i i never ask anybody to be to feel guilty for where they're born. If you feel guilty for being middle class and you never want to discuss these things and middle class and above, that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you how to feel. It's not my place. I'm not your mom. Like I ain't your mom. But poverty is important to discuss as a framework for things because it it introduces factors to your behavior, right? Which relative comfort doesn't. It doesn't expose you to the need to be as primal. But but for me, I've always argued it this way. Poverty gives you less wiggle room for error. Because the thing about being poor is when you make mistakes, the fallout, the gravity of the fallout is always, always exacerbated. Right? If you're rich and you fail a year in school, take it from somebody who's my family's middle class right? I failed two years of university. Not ideal. Not ideal, but not the end of the, the family's economics. I failed one year. Cool. We'll pay for a second year. The second year I failed, <laughs> my father said, and my mom and my dad said, go jump in a lake. Get serious. And I had to put some money together and, and pay for that myself. Took a student loan. Had to. My parents aren't having it. But it wasn't the end of their economic lives. They didn't have to change their lives. They were just like, you're a bum. Stop it. They didn't say that, actually. They were just like, come on, take it seriously. My, my, my father did, uh, wasn't that nice. But my mom was like, come on, you know. C come on, guy. Come on. Come on, fam. <laughs> but, but poverty gives you less room. Because if you're poor and you fail university and you fail school, Nobody has the money to pick up the pieces. Mom and dad, likely mom, are finished. 
They've taken loans. They've borrowed money from family. They've, they've performed miracles just to put you through that year. Just to get an NSFAS loan. In our country, in South Africa, by the way, those are what you'd call your student loans in America or, or the greater world is you take these student loans that the government gives you money for, but essentially, not essentially, you've got to pay that back. And if mom and dad can't afford, because you must remember for poor people, again, we've got to feed this child. There's got to be transport. There's got to be clothes. Now it's another year of textbooks. Right? So 90, 100,000 rand, uh, 10, 15,000 dollars, depending where you're from, is not child's play, I think, for most families in the world. $10,000 to most human beings alive today per year is an astronomical amount of money. An astronomical amount of money. And that's what a university... And let's call it $20,000 really because you've got to house people, pay for them, pay for food, pay for clothing. It's 200000 a year. The average salary in my country, by the way, is, is now 2200 a year. It's uh, 2200 a month, sorry. It's around about 150 US dollars, give or take. Maybe even less than that. Maybe my math is off. So let's say 150 US dollars per month. That's what most people in this country are earning. So you must understand when you're asking $10,000 per year, which is what a university degree costs, by the way. It's between 30 and 90,000 Rand, 120,000 Rand if you're doing serious degrees, 150,000 for the, some of the higher echelon science degrees that, that actually matter, by the way, and aren't BA arts or whatever nonsense people are saying. So for poor people, the consequences are just they can be irreparable, right? And there's just no wiggle room if you're poor. And it's something that I address all the time, right? Uh, something that breaks my heart. And I have to speak to a particular sector of South Africa. I can't speak to anywhere else in the world. But nothing breaks my heart like when I see single black mothers. Nothing. 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 And I told you I'm going to get preachy, but nothing breaks my heart because... I know what it takes to raise a child. I don't have a child, but I've seen it because I have it in my family. I have a cousin who's who's got what four or five kids by three or four different dads, baby daddies, like you know. So poor, poverty to me is not something I talk about like a statistic because some people start to talk about poor people like they're statistics. Statistics, they're real people with real feelings with real consequences. Right. And I keep preaching this to people because I don't mind getting preachy because in this sense, I'm perfect. I don't have kids, by the way, because I take it very, very seriously. Oh, my God. I cannot tell you how seriously I take the, the matter of picking the person, number one, who will possibly be a life partner. But if I have children, you, you have no idea how much scrutiny I will do on that. And I'll get into why. But people must stop saying I'm having a baby. I hate that. I hate that. It's it's the dumbest, most short-sighted thing in the world. You're not having a baby. You're having a human who you're going to have to look after for at best case scenario in the 21st century. At best case. At best case scenario. 23 years. At best. At best case. So stop saying you're having a baby. You're not having a baby. You're having a human. And I will, I will argue this to my death, and I include myself in this. Not everybody should have children. 
not everybody should have children. I hate hearing about single mothers, especially poor ones. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It breaks my heart. And in my country, it's usually black. And I'm sorry, I'm not... I'm not evolved enough to see human beings as just human beings. It hurts a little bit more for me. I don't know enough white people that are in this situation, so I don't want to pretend. It just hurts for me more when I hear, and I don't care how wealthy you think you are, because my parents have done really well, but my sister and I could could spend this money. And by the way, my dad's been clear, we're not inheriting anything, but but we could spend this money in one generation. This isn't wealth. There's too many hungry mouths in our families. There's just too many mouths more and more, by the way. So I hate, hate, hate seeing young black single mothers from the upper middle class to the middle class. And I know it's Miss Independent time, whatever. I'm just expressing my opinion because I have seen where it leads. Angry mother spirals into anxious child anxious child spirals into vagrant vagrant criminal drugs poverty child is now vagrant mom spirals now the whole thing spirals and drugs are next that's just the cycle and guys i'll be honest with you i gave my mother a call we spoke about this daily anything for an hour spoke about the state of south africa we spoke about the state of young black women getting, you know, it breaks my mother's heart as well. But just, just having babies out of wedlock, the lack of two-parent homes. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a massive advocate for two-parent homes. Massive, 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 massive advocate for two-parent homes. This, the, the, the neurological, right, the early child development research. And we're talking about neuroscientists here, not some crackpot theories on on instagram and tiktok hard science i read reports I'll, I'll i'll reference you to one of the reports i read earlier um and i spoke to somebody like again my, my mom's a serious serious still in this field globally you know um and i spoke to her about poverty uh, the relation to drugs and where that takes societies what does the research say And the reason I hate hearing about single mothers, especially the poor ones, is poverty exposes children to those conditions. And I read two studies, but the one that I want to reference is a Harvard study in 2019 by uh, Peter Grinspoon. That's Peter, P-E-T-E-R-G-R-I-N-S-P-O-O-N. And he looked at the the rate of poverty and how that affects addiction and how that leads to increased death rates because you're poor that spiral of what happens in order to lead to more death because you can't afford to get treatment etc for things that may be well outside your control what we may call mental health in this day and age and and he talks about stigma in one of his other papers that i read as well it was a hell of a read by the way i, I did lots of reading today on this subject because I, I didn't want to take this one lightly but poverty exposes children to living conditions you and i and, and and perhaps somebody listen to this maybe you are one of these children that are 
absolutely horrendous. Part of being poor is that you're more likely to be stressed and live around nefarious characters, right? It's just what it is. For Delhi Ali, is, he said he doesn't want people feeling sorry for him. I want to respect that. I don't feel sorry for him. Life's horrible. It, it, it has such a horrible reality. Right? But I resent his mother. And it's why it pains me when I hear single mom and poor and black in particular. But Delia's mom was an alcoholic. Alcoholics hang around, especially poor. You know, poor alcoholics don't go to rehab. Again, this report by um, uh, Dr. Green's, uh, Grinspoon talks about it. They don't go to rehab. They lose their housing. They lose their support. And you know who they go to is other addicts and other drug addicts. And those people are sick. A lot of people are sick. They are sick in the mind. They are not in their right mind. They are now drug addled. And they spiral. And, they, and you cannot. So I tell you in life, I'm out when it comes to substances. I've lost two uncles to drugs. You don't have to tell me what drugs can do. One I was particularly close to. My grandmother was never the same after he lost what was the apple of her eye. She was never the same. The kindest woman had a colder heart. I, I remember people crying at his funeral. And my mother now reminds me, my grandmother didn't cry. And, you know, it, it was, it's, it's, it, it sounds like a cold thing to say. She says, why are people crying? He was a drug addict. And what shocked people, it was that, that that's not the grandmother they knew. She was a midwife. She was a carer, a health carer. You know, she was known as one of the wise elders of the, in, in the Lebobo village she's from, you know, a midwife. So a high level thinking woman and particularly an empath of the community and, and a leader of the community. But that changed her forever. Changed her forever. These things change people forever, you know. So Deli Ali's mum had drug addicts in her home. And at the age of six, Deli Ali was raped. He said molested, but it's the same thing. We shouldn't soften it because it's a boy. He was raped at the age of six. And this is where my phone call with my mum came in handy. <clears throat> you know, as I was discussing it, I told her about this thing. And she said, oh, no. Like, this was an organic response from somebody who is... I'm talking about, by the way, I have driven cars on the Gaza Strip. Children with arms blown off. I'm not being funny. This is a real thing that's happened in my life. My mother exposed me to this to understand the value of life. I've seen people's arms blown off. I've seen young children with shards in their bodies. I've driven ambulances, worked with uh, the United Nations in those conditions, right? So my mom's been on the front line globally, particularly in Africa. I'm talking Sudan, talking the Arab Spring. I'm talking Israel. I'm talking Palestine. I'm talking, uh, she was in Beirut when things were going down. My mom's been there, done that. If you know it in the modern day and you go, oh my God, largely speaking, she was in and around it or something like it. So nothing really puts her off. Like there's nothing I've, I can tell her to shock her. There's nothing you're going to say to shock my mother. She's seen it all. But her, her first response when I told her 
oh, this, so this footballer got raped at the age of six. She said, oh, no, he's ruined forever. I said, what are you talking about? She said, no, 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 you don't recover from that. She said, no, 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 that, that one, that you don't recover from. You don't have the tools at six to recover from that. But her first response, and I, I, I promise you, I could not have been more shocked because I expected her to, she, my, my mom's a, a thinker on these subjects. You know, she doesn't just blurt it out. She, she's, she really, really tries to get, especially when talking to me, is she, she tries to articulate it as finely as possible. Her first response was, oh, no. I didn't think you would say that kind of thing. It, it was like, oh, no, no, he's ruined forever. And I thought, my God, I've never heard my mother speak like this about anything. She said, he is ruined forever. When you rape a child, you ruin them forever. Forever. So Delhi Ali is ruined as a human being psychologically forever. There is no rehab for that. I'm not saying that a professional of over three decades working as a trauma and addiction specialist is saying that. That was, those were, that was her first response. That lets me know the gravity of the situation about Delhi Ali, which now I don't really care about football. It's like, firstly, his mom was a monster. What a, what a monster to bring a child into an environment like that. We have to take responsibility in life. And I'm sick and tired of people exercising the bigotry of low expectations to poor people. Being poor does not mean you're stupid. Being poor doesn't mean you have to make bad decisions. Because of the world we live in, poor people often actually have to be so creative in terms of just getting their children to survive and protect them from abusive fathers. Right? Poor people are more creative than ever in order just to survive, to meet the baseline of survival. So don't tell me being poor makes you stupid. It doesn't. And we have to stop lowering expectations for poor people because they're poor. Delhi Ali's mother is a monster. How dare you put a child in that situation? I have no empathy for her. I have no empathy for her. I understand addiction. It's in my family. I have no empathy for my uncle. No empathy for either of them. It's never emanated from my family, my grandmother, my mother. No empathy. Zero. You take drugs, that's on you. Drinking, not a part of my family. I let my family down in my 20s by getting heavily into drinking. No empathy. You have to raise the standards. Right? And what you have to be able to do is be able to speak freely. And it's difficult, right? I'll tell you right now, the black community is going through some stuff in South Africa where if you speak like this, they'll tell you you think you're white. But I'm telling you, we have to lift the standards for black people. And it's easy for me sitting on this side of the fence, you might say, no, it's not. I deal with poverty every day of my life. People's asking me for 100 rand, 200 rand, this and that. People know not to come to me anymore, but because I'm, I've taken my father's position, absolutely not. Shouldn't have had three kids with three different fathers. Absolutely not. We are, I'm not going to tolerate. You need to feel the pinch of real life. I'm not going to tolerate poor behavior and support it. We have to raise the standard. Just because you're poor, it doesn't mean you put children in that position. Poor people need to stop having kids. You cannot have kids willy-nilly. 
Wealthy people can afford to hire kids, send them to boarding school, put them in. Listen, there's emotional damage from separate. I'm not saying being wealthy makes you a better parent. It doesn't. We know that. It doesn't. It, children get neglected and they'll do drugs, but rich kids can go to rehab and we can protect them. They have better social networks. They have apartments on beachfronts to go to. They have networks. When you're poor and you're like Delhi Abbott and you've got Delhi Alley situation, my God, the boy was exposed to being raped. So the problem for people like Delhi Alley is now that now he goes, he finds a little bit of salvation. But what happens when pressure comes is it reveals all of us. Pressure reveals us for who we are, not who we think we are. And Delhi Ali's ruined forever. I'm not saying that. I'm quoting somebody who is a medical professional. He might say he's healed. He's gone to a six-week thing in America. It's not how it works. I had a long chat with somebody. It's not how it works. I wish him the best for the rest of his life, but he's ruined forever once you take that from somebody. And, you know, a couple of months ago, I had a listener who's really worried about their daughter message me. And we we kind of did a back and forth. And she told me she'd been raped at 11 out of concern for her daughter's new workplace. And I thought, my God. I, I didn't probe because, you, you know, that's a very, very personal thing. But I thought, my God. What kind of monstrosity? And Deli Ali got exposed to the same and it sickened me to hear it. I, I, when I heard it, I, I, I was stunned completely and utterly. I, I didn't expect that. I expected it to be like some drug problems or this. Like it was that and I just thought, okay, well now, now everything's it's off the table. And you know, when he changed his name on his shirt, you knew something was going on. But this is... This woman is a monster and she deserves to be persecuted. I hope her conscience does, but she's a drug, she's an alcoholic, so probably not. Probably not. And, you know, it's tricky because in the life sciences, they will always say, don't punish, rehabilitate. And the the other problem is, and, and you'll read in uh, uh, Dr. Grinspoon's report. The spiral down for poor people doesn't end at just drugs. You know, for rich kids who can go, oh, I'm recreationally just doing cocaine, dude, like whatever, or smoking weed, bro, chill, bro. They end up in rehab. Poor people end up in jail. And then you come out of jail, you're poor. You're not coming into a network. Guess what happens? You're hijacking and stealing granny's grant money again. And then you're in jail again. It's a cycle. Just That's just the truth. It's why I encourage poor people to be far more careful when they are going to have children. I'm not saying poor people can't have kids. That's, that's crazy. It's eugenics. I, I don't want to start getting into that. I'm just saying they have to be more careful. You've got to set things up better. Because if you don't, your children, particularly young boys, become monsters. And then it's GBV. And then it's jail. And then when, when it's gone GBV, our, the young black women are broken. And then the young black women have to mother 
sons. And what do they do? They're broken women. They're mothering these sons from a broken place, alone. So the Daily Alley thing is absolutely deplorable. I, I can't, my, the, the mother is a monster. She's a monster. Being poor doesn't mean I'm going to lower the bar for judging you. I, I will not exercise the bigotry of low expectations because you are poor. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not moved by, by poverty. It's not a statistic to me. It's in my family. Poor people are, there's many poor people who conduct themselves accordingly in life. With distinction and honor and, and pride and ethos. So don't tell me being poor is a reason for me to lower the ethos standard. It's mental. It's absolutely crazy. And I'm not going to fall into that. It's disgusting to even do that. Who are you to think that morals are only good for you because you sit in the suburbs? Who are you? So I'm not having it and I will not have it. And I will not. I can understand Eli Ali not forgiving his mother. He's ruined forever. And that's what GBV does. Men, women. You, you're having a person. You're not, by the way, you're not having a baby. Let's write this down. You're having a person. And when you get all misindependent on us, it sounds cool on Twitter. It's not cool. It's not cool. And most of you ain't got it like that. Stop lying. I know I know what people are earning. I know what South Africans earn. My cousin works. My cousin literally works at the treasury. I know what South Africans are earning. I know what the tax base is. I know what the average income is in this country. She's one of the biggest wigs at the treasury. I know exactly what's happening in the economic state of this country. The South African average salary has dropped below 3,000 rand. And if you're some influencer, because there's a lot of cool influencer young black chicks who'll tell you they're misindependent, I know what you earn. I sit, and I'm not being funny, I sit with all of the decision makers, by the way. Tomorrow I'm seeing a big decision maker in the South African industry, right, for influencers at a massive, I was with a massive, I was, at, I was with the biggest agency in the world last week, right? I know what you make. I know everybody in radio in Africa. I, I produced a super sport um, and multi-choice. So I know everybody in television. There's nobody I don't know. Trust me, if they're worth knowing in this country. And I know the decision makers. So I know what radio DJs make. I know what influencers make. I know what each of you earn an hour. I know what you charge to speak. They don't have it like that. So don't let anybody who thinks they're cool... I don't need no man. I don't need no woman. Generally, it's I don't need no man, though, because men are leaving. It's a different conversation. We'll have it another time. Not for this podcast. It's not cool to be a single mother. It's not cool on the child. It's not good for you. It's not good for anyone. It's not good for parents to be bitter. It's not good to leave your, your girl with the child. It's not cool. That's not cool. You're not cool for doing that. Life doesn't work out, fine. I'm not saying you have to stay together. I come from a home of divorce. It's not about you though. Once you have a child, it's not about you. You must break your neck 
to ensure that child is not exposed to depravity. You are not the victim. The children are. Stop having children willy-nilly. I told you I was going to get preachy and I, I will not change my tone on this for the rest of my life. I have no children, so I'm perfect in this case. I can talk about it. I've been very, very careful. Listen, also, let's keep it real. I get it. Sex is the best thing on the planet. Literally, we adults here. Sex with is the best thing on the planet. I get it. I, there is no pleasure like it. Once you've had sex with someone, it's, I, I understand wanting to do it all the time. <laughs> I can't, listen, don't get me wrong. But poor people are not victims of their primal instincts. Because middle class people make these decisions all the time. Upper middle class people make these decisions all the time. So, and by the way, there's lots of poor people who don't have babies. Because they're trying to improve their lives and work and do courses and do three jobs and, and, and whatever. I'm not making poor people out to be bigger heroes than anyone. Life is awful. I get it. There's lots of poor people who are doing courses, who are working jobs, who are doing night courses, who, who are on the grind to get there. And they're going, okay, cool. I might not be able to have a baby, but at least my cousin, I'm going to pay for my little cousin. She must go to boarding school, get a better network, and the next generation will do better. That's happening, by the way. Those stories, they get told about poor people because th those are just normal people living their lives, as most people are, with dignity and pride and, and long-term long thinking. They will escape, if not them, the next generation. This is happening all around us. And I can tell you, it's also in my family, by the way. I'm talking like all of my family is just poor dickheads. No, there are poor people that are dickheads in my family. But a large percentage of that 99% I told you about are just living their lives and getting driver's licenses and trying to do something better. And not to vandalizing and not GBV and not all these monstrous things. Which is why I can tell you that poverty doesn't mean you've got to make bad decisions. And I'm not just saying it as like I'm Matt Damon. I'm telling you it's in my family. Raped at six years old. Wow. Wow. Not everyone should have children. We need to say that to more people. And by the way, that one is across the LSM. Poor, rich not everybody, if you're 40, 40 years old, if you're 35 years and above and you're married, hopefully, and you can't control your urge to go out and take drugs and drink yourself into a stupor, don't have kids. It's too late. You're not going to change when you have the kid. Like, let's just start taking this more seriously. Because otherwise, there'll be more daily alleys. Children need their parents, dude. They do. And I'm extremely fortunate. Oh, my God. When, when I heard the story, I just thought of my own family. I thought, oh, my God. My parents just did everything for me. And I'm very naive, right? This was shocking to me because both of my parents, even though they were divorced, were unreal. They were unplayable. Completely, completely unreal in terms of emotional support, rules, structure. Deli Ali said from the age of seven, he didn't have rules in his life. 
Children need rules. Be hard on your kids. It's all they know. And if I hear, by the way, if I hear another, again, independent woman who goes, my mom's my best friend, where I got a, I got a 15-year-old telling me, my mom's my best friend, they're not your friend. As a parent, it is not, it is not your job to be your child's friend. Stop saying stupid shit like that. It is your job to prepare them to meet this world. To meet this world. And this world's not easy. It will not give them things. No one will give the, give you anything anyway. Unless you're a trust fund baby. And that's such a small part of this country. Of this world. People have to work. You've got to be respectful. And you've got to put children in environments where they feel safe. And that, 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 mo that starts with rules. And if you can't conduct yourself, you shouldn't be having children. I'm sorry. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. But if you have no discipline yourself, please don't have children. Because you're going to end up having this situation. It's going to happen. I don't care how wealthy you are. I know rich kids who are in rehab now. I, in fact, not rich. I know people with helicopters. And their parents ignored them. And they have no discipline. And they're now in the fourth or fifth stint in rehab. And they're broken forever. Now, Delhi Ali's case is just disgusting. Probably a bit of a dispersed message here. I, I was more talking to just, in particular, poor black people. Just stop. Let's stop the madness. This is crazy. Delhi Ali got raped. What are we talking about? A six-year-old boy was raped. What, what in the shit are we talking about? Come on, man. Come on. I swear when I see these I don't need no man people. And I'm, again, I'm talking in South Africa again. I, I don't know what's going on in America. But when I see them in South Africa, especially the, there's like one or two famous ones who have this thing. I know how much money you make. Now, unless you're, you know, throwing the coochie out there for some politician or some rich sugar daddy, which, my, which some of them are, by the way, and I know about those. Don't think we don't know. I know. I know everybody in the entertainment industry in this country. I know them. I know what's cutting. Even then, not cool. Children know, by the way. You think they don't. They know. You saw Daily Ali's interview. He said there was all these men and women around. What a crazy story. I'm sure you've got your thoughts. But those are, those are just my thoughts. Uh, it was, I'm revolted with his mother. And I'm, I'm deeply sensitive to the matter because it is, it is in and around me. Poverty and the science is clear. Peter Grinspoon, if you'd like to look up um, some of the papers around uh, why poverty leads uh, to higher rates of addiction and why higher rates of addiction lead to higher rates of incarceration and death for the poor. And inevitably, this daily alley situation is just the continuation and extension of the archetype, by the way. So it's not, it's revolting as an individual case, but it's not crazy, crazy when you look at the research. And this is a Harvard study. It's not some bloke, some blogger on the internet. I looked the doctor up. He's for real, real. 
is for real real i read two of his um papers today just like cut the shit man cut the shit two parent homes it the Again, you can go and look up all the reports on that. I mean, I've read so much about it because I do care about it. I may or may not want a family in my life moving forward. I'm acutely aware that I come from a home of divorce. So within me, I'll have to process that. But I felt like I had two parents because my parents had a rule, right? Even when they got divorced, my mother was very clear. There are certain things a mother should never hear about their father, right? Or, or, sorry, there are certain things that a child should never hear about their father from their mother and from their father about their mother. It was a rule my mother made. Both of my parents stuck, stuck to that. My mother was never negative about um, my father and my mother. My father never said a negative word. In fact, we would complain about, or, or not we, my sister was golden. I would complain about my mother to my father and he would very quickly slap my face. That's your mother you're talking about. And... I'm not saying my parents are perfect. They, they, they were, nobody's perfect. I'm just telling you what was implemented. I was not allowed, especially in front of my father, to speak negatively about my mother, ever. He would not tolerate it. And they were divorced for years. I'm talking over a decade later. I'm talking high school. So they're not perfect, but they were incredible. Two-parent homes for the win. It's not me saying that. Go and read any study you want from any high-level university you want. Two-parent homes work for children. It's not just a cool thing to say. And I'm not religious, by the way. I'm an atheist. I do not believe in God, so I'm not going to go with that God put us on this planet nonsense. Like, I'm not there. Sorry. You'll have to miss me with that shit. But two-parent homes work for the development of the child for a plethora of reasons. This podcast is not about that, and I am not a neuroscientist or evolutionary biologist or or, or psych, psychiatrist, and I'm not going to talk about that. But I've read lots and lots of papers because as I get older and that possibility comes true, I'm acutely aware that relationships are not easy. I'm not saying they're easy. 50% divorce rate. But if I have a child, I'm trying to create the internal fortitude to say no matter what the first 18 years it's locked in I, I hope i can stick to that like listen none of us are perfect it's so easy for me to say this and and, and make it about me but bloody hell I, I i may be the person you're going oh my gosh i can't believe you divorced the mom after 10 years but but i'm working really really hard that when the person comes along that I want so, so <laughs> it's very it's deeply personal for me right I'm probably ranting a little long I'll finish it off on this one is it's really important for me I can't find somebody attractive if they don't come from a two-parent home so for me if you don't come from a two-parent home I, I would never marry you it sounds crazy but I understand the effects of not coming from that and <laughs> People say, yes, but you don't come from a two-parent home. I say, I know. I know. It's a very good reason. In fact, I would say it's a very good reason to understand why you shouldn't. I'll tell you why mom and dad should be together. So it's something that's very real for me. I ask any girl. I mean, I've only, I was thinking about it earlier. I've only really found two girls 
like extremely attractive. And by that, I mean to make long-term partners where I could see a future. I've, it's only happened to me twice where I've had that feeling. And they were both from two-parent homes. But now, more so than ever, it's extremely important to me. Are you from a two-parent home? No. Oof. Sorry. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a catch myself. I'm just saying, for me, that's just a non-negotiable. I, I, have, I have five or six non-negotiables in, in this realm. Two-parent homes for the win. Deli Ali. Fucking deplorable. His mom is deplorable. She is a deplorable piece of work. I have no time to hear it. Being poor doesn't make you a monster. Being a monster makes you a monster. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is MKT. This has been the MKT Show. And for now, I am the hell out of here.